Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. This week we swap out Tim's. Thompson disappeared into Europe somewhere, so we bring Tim Heindel back to the scene. Tim and I reminisce about our days in Avatar. We talk about the swaps of the Bobs and what that means for Disney. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Hollywood Breaks. So we should probably talk about the Bobs because it seems to me that that seems to be the dominant conversation. And I'm curious what your perspective is because you obviously you're the research guy and you know there's a lot of talk about the strategy that Chapik was pursuing that some people say Iger kind of put in place. Mm-hmm. And now it seems to be <laughs> set, him up to set him up to fail, basically, and then <laughs> start right. bad mouthing him from the sidelines. Um, and you know, it seems like now Iger's in place. And you know, it, you know, mere weeks ago, he gave an interview where he said, "Yeah, I don't think the actual is ever going to come back to co- pre-COVID times." And linear is going off a cliff. So I'm like, "Oh, well, you're going to have a shitload of fun on your first day in the job there, Bob." Um, so <laughs> you imagine. Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting because I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was about uh, yesterday, and it sort of was talking a little bit about, I guess, McKinsey had done a, Disney had hired McKinsey, uh, the consultancy, to sort of figure out a way to save money and cut costs. And obviously, the first thing they went after was marketing and potentially moving marketing away from the content creators and putting it into Kareem Daniels Group. Uh-huh, right. And sort of like creating like a central hub for marketing. And then mm-hmm. the creator content te- teams just focus on producing the content. And then Kareem figures out where it's going to go. And then the marketing sort of streams from that, mm-hmm. which in my mind isn't necessarily a terrible idea. But of course, it all depends on the execution. Yes. So I'm curious like, do you think we're going, do you think? Bob Iger is going to go right back to how things were. I mean, he, he gave his town hall where he said, well, creative is center of attention now, which is all well and good, but the landscape is completely different from when Iger was last in that chair. So how do you think things are going to shake out for him now in the next you know few months? A lot of backpedaling, right? Because he did make yeah. it. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a lot of backpedaling. It was a weird, it was an interesting model. That's such a... I almost wish they had let the experiment run a little longer because it didn't yeah. like was enough data in this model. I think right. to really prove it one way or the other, it felt like a very reactionary move on the part of uh, driven by you know um, skittish shareholders that end yeah. up in this in the position they're in. Yeah, it's it's in part also it's like a like um, Bob Iger is like a warm blanket, right? <laughs> like everything's going to be okay now. Warm glass of milk. (laughs) Everything's going to be okay. Don't don't you worry. You're pretty little creative heads. Papa's back now. Everything's all all well and good. Chill out. (laughs) It's such a. uh, It's in some ways too. It's reflective of a kind of persistent tension that I think is going to continue to uh, uh, grow um, as as we move through this new iteration of the industry between the the creative voices and and the business side of the. Mm operation the, the distribution yeah. which is clearly just a business play how do you yeah. the thing that i i felt like it was a false dichotomy from the beginning because it's the supposition that someone in distribution which you know some of the smartest people in the industry and it's not a yes yeah. at all but in isolation can make decisions about platform optimal mm-hmm. platform and optimal audience and optimal release schedule is yeah. um i think a fool's errand and it has to be so interwoven with marketing and interwoven with the creatives that it has to be a synergistic entity yep. as it always has been and, you know, as all studios have always been like right. that entity that that energy is um 
concentrated, but it's balanced across all yeah. of those dis separate kind of divisions, not not controlled by one over the other. And I get how um, I can understand how creators would be feeling a little, um, the filmmakers in particular, feeling a little skittish about yeah. that kind of instability. And and are we are we do we have our movie people in there? Are we talking to the right people? Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed to me it was odd. I, I agree with you. I would like to have seen it play out a little bit more. I thought the idea of it was sort of in the right direction because it was sort of like trying to establish sort of like a more data-driven, yeah, you know, uh-huh. decision-making process. Uh-huh. Um, but I think there was just a level, to your point about the filmmakers, there's just a level of confusion about who Kareem Daniel is, what his, what disney media and entertainment distribution and what their job was what their role is yeah and it didn't seem like a lot of the managers like alan bergman at you know the disney studios didn't really seem like there was a i mean chapik claimed there was buy-in but clearly there wasn't Uh because it seemed like there was just a disconnect from the Uh get-go and i think when you had like you know you had a couple like uh the pixar movies i think it was um was it red tail was that the name of it red Um, dawn that not Red Dawn. Not Red Dawn. Although I would love to see a Pixar version of Red Dawn. Come on. It's it's blanking on it. But yes. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. That they. Young women's adolescents. Correct. That they Mm -hmm. just moved to uh, Disney Plus. Didn't even give it a theatrical release. And then you have Hocus Pocus 2, which was a huge hit on Disney Plus. And Disenchanted, which had star power at the wazoo and d- was dumped on disney plus you have to think like was there a theatrical play there that did they leave <laughs> money on the table and i sort of made this comp you know in a previous founders bro i made this comment when chapik was at the wall street journal um tech conference and he said like listen if you're going to play in the streaming game it's about scale and i said yes he's right but you have to scale smartly. And it felt like what he was doing was just scaling to the point of just eyeballs and subscribers versus like scaling to make money, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is sort of the point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems to me that that kind of just started to fall apart with Hocus Pocus 2 and Disenchanted and investors and the board being like, how much money are we leaving on the table here? Yeah. And so I, I think you're right. I think it, it just... Yeah. Yeah, it, and that's almost an impossible question to answer, isn't it? Like, how much money are we leaving on the table? It's so yeah. speculation. But like, like there's a there's a there's a there there. Someone can figure that out. Someone should know that, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I think because there is sort of a disconnect between an audience that sort of consumes a studio product, if you will. Like the, the Netflix and the Amazons of the world are not mm-hmm. really playing that same game because they have direct connection with the audience. They have data, the audience, we all, the the industry and the studio side has always sort of used a third party to sort of transact. So we would never, ever really get that data. So it felt like this could have been an opportunity to maybe try to figure out a way to communicate more with the consumer and maybe work in a way with, you know, the creatives to create a seamless process Uh to figuring out where uh-huh. things go and yeah. how they should be marketed. Yeah. I think there was a little also disconnect between like when you choose a platform that marketing is just sort of uh, can be across all platforms. Like, you know, if you're going to put it on streaming, the marketing plan is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But to me, that shows a little bit of an ignorance in terms of how marketing strategy works. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> the theatrical release is not yeah. the same as a streaming release. And it felt like at times 
the Kareem's division was making decision like, oh, you can just pivot to streaming. It's easy. It's not a big deal. Where well, it's actually a big deal. I know. So more seamless would have been better. But I, I'm just, I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm really curious, like what Iger's next moves are going to be, and you know, all. And it seems to me that we were just talking in the pre-show that there seems to be almost like a slight slant towards back to theatrical when you have like Netflix with their, you know, glass onion experiment, and uh-huh. then you have Amazon also commenting on potentially making up to a billion dollars into a theatrical commitment, which is like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, bring it, bring it. And after like, after their, um, their reinvention of revisitation of Lord of the Rings, I am all in on whatever they want to spend their money on. Gorgeous. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it feels like, I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but do you feel like Iger is right that we're never going to get back to COVID levels, pre COVID levels, or is, do we have to adjust to a new reality? I think it's. I think he's right in the sense that we need we need a whole new ecosystem. Is what I feel right. like. Is the their early signals are that maybe Disney was doing that was the right path, but they're five years ahead of the curve, right? Yeah. And so we bring bring the other Bob back to kind of like calm the water. And, yeah. and in the meantime, I think the other question that you're raising and something I've been like uh, a lot of people have been thinking about is how do you make the smartest determination of how to optimize your content. Like, do you go, how do I know something is innately theatrical versus something right. is ideal for a streamer? There's a difference. And it's not immediately apparent given the current tools and I think anyway, um, means of assessing it that we have available to us right now. So it's still a little bit of a guessing game. To your point about Hocus Pocus, I, I mean, I would have crushed. I mean, even now, just looking at the release schedule for the holidays, there's nothing until like Puss in Boots and then Avatar. And yeah. then Whitney Houston and kind of Babylon, maybe, but that's three hours. And then you're so there's a massive mm. hole to me. Spirit yeah. example would have would have um, done some bonkers business um, had Apple Plus decided to give that a little bit of a theatrical run. But everyone's kind of figuring out, figuring it out on the fly and experimenting simultaneously. Yeah, which gives a false impression that there's a sense people know what they're doing, but really <laughs> nobody knows what they're doing. They're just feeling it out. I mean, how does yeah like. I was talking with some friends at Netflix and like, I'm like, this is such a curious experiment for you guys because you've had a semi pre theatrical traditional release campaign into this very potent window, which they, by all accounts anyway, in those limited theaters did exceptionally well. Yeah. Good on them. Now it's gone until the 23rd of December. So there's 21 days of like, I can't see that anywhere. Right. So you've right. got all that energy you built up, good word of mouth. That's you have this ball of energy. <laughs> that now has from now until the 23rd sort of just sit there, right? And people are yeah. going to continue talking about the movie sufficiently that when you re-engage the consumers at Christmas, they're going to yeah. be like, oh, you're back. Oh, hello, look at this. I think that's where they're leaving money on the table is that that not like there's a there's a miscalculation, it feels like to me, in terms of the the demand that they built and then mm-hmm. how that demand either dissipates or accelerates across the different release windows. And that's what um, we'll see. We'll see when they come back at Christmas, how it like how the run goes for them. And yeah, I mean, book it then at that point, too, which is also another fascinating little twist on this. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to me. My wife and I were talking after we dropped off the kids this morning and she said, like, where are all the Christmas movies? And I'm yeah. like, well, there's I was like, well, there's Avatar. She looks at me. She's like, "That's not a Christmas movie." I'm like, "I know." I know. I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> you know, that consumed my life, all of our lives for like yeah. the entire first quarter of 2009. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. 
but uh, you're right. Like Spirited, that could have had a shot. I mean, it, it, it seems like people are just so committed to one way or another uh-huh. versus just, you know, maybe this could have a real shot. I mean, it surprises me that Netflix didn't didn't try to give it a little bit more of a theatrical push because the any <laughs> yeah well yeah and the, the one way is it's so clear right now and we're coming into a holiday season where i think a lot of people are just kind of it's we all, most people feel like the pandemic is over everyone's mm-hmm. kind of going back to normal mm-hmm. and it seems like this would be the time to like really try to push movies that we were traditionally put in theaters on during the holiday season. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, obviously Chris Aronson and Paramount recognize that because he's putting Top Gun back in theaters yeah. for two weeks because uh-huh. there's nothing else there. Exactly. exactly. So why not? So, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. hey, what do you want to do? Well, I already saw Wakanda forever. Uh-huh. I don't really know what else to see. So, yeah, let's go watch Top Gun. And, you know, because who doesn't want to watch Top Gun 2 again? Because it's such yeah. a great movie. So why not? Right. Um, it just seems to me that I mean, I'm, I'm partially heartened by it because it seems like it, it's starting to tick back. But, you know, there's huh? also the side, the pessimist side of me that's like, well, the experience hasn't changed at all. So is it going to remind people how shitty the movie theaters are? Or is it going to be like one of those things where they're like, oh, I remember how great this was. I don't care yeah. if the floor is sticky. Yeah. And, you know, there's a pimpled teenager running the, the projector. I just want to be in an experience where it's communal again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I think a lot of people are experimenting and I, I have to give Chapik a little bit of credit because I think that's what he was trying to do. Yeah. He was experimenting. He's like, you know what? This, this model has been played out since the sixties. We need to shake it up a little bit. So I'm going to take the P and L power away from the heads who aren't all together. The smartest math majors anyway, you know, the people who run the content side of the business and see if we can maybe create a division that sort of can handle all that stuff yeah, and sort yeah. of make it more evidence and database. Yeah. Which was worth trying. I, I mean, you're right. I wish you would have given a little bit more time to see it, but you know, maybe he wasn't exactly the leader to effectuate it because when you you're taking on a legacy industry and a legacy company like Disney, you have to have a certain sense of emotional intelligence. Right, it's performance, right? And Bob, the Bob Iger gave gave that performance very much. Yes, very much so. A theatrical presence, a theatrical presence. <laughs> yes, he did. And if if Chapik at least tried to sort of come at it from that perspective, yeah, perhaps he could have gotten a little bit more buy-in versus sort of almost being like a bull in a china shop and being like, "Well, I, we need to just break everything because this model isn't working anymore." Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like because he really never had. An experience with creatives and creative people who can obviously sometimes have huge egos but be very emotionally fragile like it's not the same thing as dealing with you know how do we get you know the rise it's a small world to move at a faster clip you know that's not that's not really the same conversation so yeah i'm excited about the time of sort of experiment and i think it is cool it is cool you know i i try to look at it from a more optimist perspective than being the pessimist and sort of the sky is falling. Yeah, it's evolution. It's evolution. And then it's, yeah. it, it's, we came out of like this. It, we're already, I think, underestimating the significance of the period of time we just went through historically, you know, mm-hmm. the impact it's had on us. Yeah. And now yeah. we're seeing like the manifestation of this in entertainment is like a place like Apple is there. And in Netflix, everyone still is calculating their ROIs and doesn't quite have it dialed in yet, you know? Yeah. 
they'll get there. A lot of these are like, they're vanity plays for sure. There's a lot of like uh, posturing, you know, that we're, we're the new kids in town and we got the biggest checkbooks and like that's, but that's sort of, I feel like that's fading a little bit. That's, yeah. We're settling back down into a, a space of understanding both the, the best way to make determinations about where to release something and then mm. what we should be making more or less of. I think yeah. it's still also like um, very much in flux, right? The nature of our audience has is evolving, has evolved, and is continuing to evolve. We have like you know even before before the pandemic, of course, there was a um, you know the bread and butter of theatrical was a uh, like young, uh, slightly Latin a skewing consumer. Mm-hmm. It's even gotten more concentrated now post pandemic. Yeah. That's right. a segment that is like uh, that has only found even more of a space within theaters but now it's just a matter of keeping them engaged and 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 and, and appeased while bringing back the pedigree viewers and bringing back the um older females and the uh audiences that were immediately african-american audiences that were initially more reluctant to return yeah. so it's um it's cool. Someone's going to figure crack this code and just be a zillionaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tim, why, why, don't, we, why don't you and I get cool on this? Puzzle. We should just get on this, right? Like you and I should just, you know, let's just figure it out. It's such a cool puzzle. We need like a math guy and we're good. Math yeah, well, we, then we're off. Um, yeah, I mean, it. It. it's funny because, you know, when the, the great Netflix correction, as they call it, when all of a sudden it was the investors sort of sort of flipped on a dime before it was all about how many subscribers like that was uh-huh. like the big thing mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden everyone was like well wait a minute we got to figure out how are you guys going to make money off this yeah and i think that's lar- it's a combination of the interest rates going up which means debt becomes more expensive and as a result of all that you know it's not just about how many subscribers you have it's like okay well now you have to make money because you got to mm-hmm. pay down more expensive debt Mm-hmm. So I think that started the conversation of like, okay, it's not just about chasing subscribe subscribers, which pivoting back a year or two ago to Jason Kalar's philosophy of like dumping everything on HBO Max because I've got to get the streamer service up and running and got to drive people. And that was all about subscribers. Now it's beginning, the, you're like you said, the conversation is shifting again, where it's like, okay, wh- how are we best able to monetize the, everything we have and, and maybe the other thing is now that i'm thinking about it i'm talking out loud it's like maybe it's to stop talking just calling it content maybe we need to start talking more about what is a movie and a theatrical movie versus uh-huh. a streaming movie uh-huh. Uh-huh. versus just calling it content because uh-huh. maybe that amorph- amorphous term that sort of like gathers everything under one rubric maybe is becoming I like that because like it's, it's more it's content's like commodified too yeah like you know it's a product yeah <laughs> this is yeah art. exactly it's not art man come on <laughs> but it's like i mean it because to me it's like and tim and i um have always talked about this my big thing is like what's a movie anymore like does anybody really know uh-huh. can you define what a movie is anymore like if if i'm watching the latest Will Smith blockbuster on my TV, then is it still a movie? Because then that qualifies like lo- the Hallmark Channel Christmas movie as a movie. Very much in flux. It's all very much in flux. And it's yeah. an arbitrary time distinction, isn't it? <laughs> like yeah. a movie technically is just a bounded narrative within a 90 to, you know. So, yeah. Well, no, well, it's not really bounded anymore. It's like you no, go through three and a yeah, half hours. <laughs> 
<laughs> and as I get older, it's harder and harder to sit in the theater and not have to go to the bathroom. I want to bring back the intermissions. That would make it easier. Oh, they're going to say bring back the diapers. <laughs> no, you can do that too. But I'm talking to like bringing back the intermissions. Like, so I can take a uh, break and go get some food and, you know, pop, you know, bathroom no, break. I'm sure that'll happen. You know, for yeah. Babylon, it's three hours. I can't believe that's three hours. It's three hours? Is three it really? Eight. Yeah. That's bonkers. Three hours? Yeah. Even even uh, the wow. next John Wick is under three. It's like two and 245. If, well, what what's the new Avatar? That's almost three, right? It's yeah. not even, but it's not over three, no. right? No. Wow, what is what is Damon doing? Three hours? Whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. <laughs> I will say this though, that campaign is rock star. They is. are clearly now all the other typical headaches of working on a campaign aside. They are clearly having fun working on this one. You could uh -huh. see it. Uh, mm -hmm. Having Ben and Bays with editors, whenever you can always see when they're having fun cutting something when you're watching the trailer, because it you feel it. You can feel that they had fun cutting that together and yeah. working with the beats and like you know it's a trailer is like basically a symphony, and yeah. it's you just watch it all come together and you can get a kind of feel and it just feels like fun. But man, three hours, yeah. woof. Okay, it I got really well. Cuts really well. I may have to recalibrate um, my. Uh, my viewing choices over over the holiday so it's because totally three hours it's a lot of time i can't do avatar i can't do a double feature of avatar and babylon that's kind of out you bring a sleeping bag yeah i'm gonna sleep. change of clothes for god's sake yeah right speaking of avatar so you and i obviously we worked on the, the original which was god 13 years ago which is hard to believe um yeah right sorry i just dated us but um you know, it's interesting because I, I, in the moment, it was a stressful campaign. I mean, you were there when we were all trying to figure out how we we're going to sell this thing. All the focus groups we did, Thunder Smurfs. Wait, is this <laughs> is this Avatar the cartoon? Like all the things uh, we were yeah. dealing with yeah. during that campaign, trying to figure out how we were going to thread this needle. Well, we all had metaphorical, metaphorical banker's boxes in the corner of our office if it didn't work, because we all knew we were probably going to get fired. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's interesting because I, 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 I just think back on those days. Obviously, I remember it fondly. It was a great time. It was stressful as hell. But it was one of those moments where because we worked on that movie and that movie alone for four straight months, which doesn't really happen much these days, didn't really happen much back then. Mm -hmm. But that was really the only movie we worked on because there was the all the resources were behind making that movie work and it's just to me like sort of watching it now and seeing the campaign they're putting together and you know it's very similar to what we went through i mean it's when we made when we work on avatar it had been nine years i think since titanic if i'm not mistaken so nobody really knew who cameron was yeah they had kind of lost his thread mm -hmm. and it seems 13 years later now they're they they have a billion multi-billion dollar movie that was like number one at the box office for multiple years. And now it feels like they have the same challenges. Like they have to reintroduce the characters. Nobody really remembers the characters' names. And then you also have this aspect of like Cameron is not front of mind anymore. I mean, you can still throw out his resume, but that means something to you and I. It doesn't necessarily mean something to the younger generation who they obviously need to show up to this movie. Mm -hmm. if it's going to hit the now $2 billion 
it's, target it's, that it, Cameron has set for the movie itself. So it is interesting. I've been watching this too, and it's interesting you say that because I had to disengage my own like uh, biased POV because I see it and I'm like, yeah. oh, I get the I get the warms, I get the fuzzies. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> Every shot is just like right. a take back into yep. that space. But that's that was a long time ago. It was a long. I mean, yeah. it's tracking like a you know like a gargantuan 200 million 175 200 million dollar opener which is um pretty spectacular that, but that's awesome i don't feel the same oh, it's hard it's it is impossible actually to disengage from that because i don't feel the same anxiety about this one i feel like it's a i feel like that avatar one laid such a powerful foundation that mm-hmm. this is just this is just reawakening that and it's just going to be like this explosion the timing of it too is i think um really, really uh, important to the regeneration of the theatrical kind of experience and, and industry, because this is, to me, the quintessential definition of theatricality is yes. the immersiveness of that brings you in that brings you into a world in a way that no one else has yet. Right. So that is, um, I think, going to give another little like EpiPen to the heart of. Uh, yeah. But do you think like the the audience has moved on, though? Do you I mean, I look at well, you mean, obviously, you have more research data than I do, but I honestly, to be upfront, I didn't get the warm and fuzzies from some of the shots. I just felt like, again, I'm watching on a, an HDTV. I'm not in the theater and I'm sure in the theater. And I, again, I qualify this every time I talk about Avatar. <laughs> that I'm never betting against James Cameron. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, no, just not going to happen. So yeah. it's entirely possible the movie is going to be amazing. In fact, it probably will be. But my thing is, like, I watch the, the the spots and I'm like, I don't, there's nothing there that once is is pulling at me. Like, I don't. You're not rooting? Are you, you're not feeling the journey? I'm not. I, I don't know why. I mean, I, I again, it could be because I'm too much in the weeds on this, and I worked on the original, and it's just sort of like I can I see all the tricks, and but at the same time, it's like I, I haven't seen a shot. Like I, again, I was talking. We were watching, and my wife was saying like, "There's nothing in there that is impactful to me," and I'm like, "They don't have the shot that we ended pretty much every spot with, which was the the Navi jumping on the pterodactyl type character whose name escapes me." Um, that was sort of like the epic shot or when they're the, uh, the tree is falling or when all the missiles are firing. Yeah. Like we had all these like iconic shots. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they have that in this. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're going a lot more on the dialogue side of it. There's a mm-hmm. lot of talking. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, I mean, maybe because they need to reintroduce the characters, but I don't know. I just, I haven't, haven't felt the same. That is a good point. That's a good point. I don't, I don't feel I'm I'm imbuing a lot onto this trailer, a lot of emotionality. I don't feel Jake's yes. journey. I don't Jake. I get a little sense of where he's at with his family. He has a new family now, and they're yes. fighting something. Right. That's not immediately clear either. It's yep. it's still very much in Sigourney Weaver's a different character now in this one. So there is a little disconnect. Yeah, I mean, and I felt like I mean I remember that I mean that third trailer was all about Jake's journey. Like mm-hmm. we basically made the audience feel like Jake. And we ex- basically said, okay, Jake, ready? Here we go. We're going to go to this new cut in this new land. Here you're going to become an avatar. Here's how it works. You become an avatar. And then here's the rest of the story. We just figured this out, Keith. We did it. Because you know what that was? That was that was research saying you need a human entry point. I know. Emotionally, that then takes you on the journey to the blue people. We're, yes. They're starting now right in the land of blue people. There's not the same kind of emotional Yes, you're, you're, try, you're trying to imbue an emotional connection through the avid, through the Navi, 
not through a human. Yes. And that, and I think I'm wondering if that maybe that's, maybe that's what I miss a little. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I thought the first trailer, I wish there was more that kind of drew me in. I felt like they were talking like return to Pandora. And I'm like, does anybody really have the feeling to want to return to Pandora? I felt what they should have done was talk about the experience of Avatar. Uh-huh. Remember the experience of uh-huh. Avatar because uh-huh. that uh-huh. was what sold it. Yeah. Was going to the movies and not cheesy 3D of things coming at your camp, your face, but immersive. Yeah. Like taking you into the movie. Do you remember yeah. that experience? Are you ready yeah. to do it again after yeah. all these years of sitting in your house and watching things on small TVs? Are you ready to be like immersed in a theatrical experience and i felt like they kind of missed that opportunity by just saying come back to pandora when i don't really know if anyone was really clamoring to go back to pandora Again, this is another freebie I hope, I hope people from disney are watching this we're just throwing gems at them left and right. <laughs> right i think what they should do i saw it feel free to give me a call anytime buddy <laughs> as you're saying that though i think you're 100 right because you articulated what i was trying to what i was feeling was like that and I remember the feeling at that first like friends and family screening and when, and when stuff was still like unfinished yeah. Like, oh, you had like my breath taken away. There were moments yeah. where you were literally like, ah, oh, slack jaw. Yes. And yeah. how do you remind people of that? Because that is the that's the magic of what we experience. I mean, I'm just like you. I remember I went, I mean, I saw some footage. I mean, I went to Avatar Day, and yeah, that was pretty impressive. But I still remember the big theater. I can't Zanuck. remember the name of it. The Zanuck, thank you. We were in the Zanuck. And it was the first full length, first showing of the entire movie finished. And all the employees were there and Pam Levine and Tony were nice enough to get me in there. And it was sort of like I got in there and the movie started and it's sort of, I think it starts with that sweeping, you know, over the, uh, you know, over Pandora, the sweeping shot. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) like this is. This is this is yeah. gonna be a different experience than what I'm used to, and I just yeah, I, I was like you when I walked out of there. I was like, holy shit, this thing's gonna crush. It's gonna special, special, yeah. And it's the only time I've ever heard Tom Rothman say in Tony's office, "You don't have to worry about it. It's gonna open." <laughs> 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 only time I've ever heard it. So oh. anyway, um, well, listen, Tim, I love talking to you. I could talk to you for Wait, three it just hours, goes by, goes by like know, that. Flies Damn. by, man. That's just how we roll, you know. But uh, thank you for coming on. It's great to oh, see my you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, and we'd love to have you back more, obviously. And then, uh, mm. you know, we're going to have to do an 88 reunion at some point because, you know, we've, we've been have so many guests that are just all, um, you know, from the, from, from, the old, from the old building itself. And uh, we mm-hmm. can all talk about some mm-hmm. of our favorite campaigns. Ooh, there's an issue idea right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, all Tim. Right. And uh, if I don't see you, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And, uh, you know, we'll see you soon. And go pack. Go up. Uh, Go Steelers. <laughs> he almost got me there. <laughs> uh, it was all a build up to that moment. That was all a build up to that moment. He got me, just tried to get me to say that. <laughs> uh, bye, Lydia. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs>